is uh, defining success, um, your own success. Like, what does it mean for you? Does it mean that I have to specifically um, go through this corporate kind of ladder? And, you know, next stage is director level, next stage is VP level, next stage is like, you know, having to be a CEO or CEO or something else. Um, and maybe it doesn't. And just being very open-minded around what my path could look like and defining it myself and almost creating my own list of criteria. Humility is a key ingredient in a life lived with Ikigai. Having the courage to say, I don't know, and being open to learning is something we should all get more comfortable with. When we attach ourselves to a rigid self-image of who we are, we risk not having the opportunity to grow ourselves and our thinking. Today's guest is Anya Buryachenko. Anya is a program manager at Predictable Revenue and another amazing woman I've gotten a chance to interview for this podcast. In our conversation, we talk about her experience immigrating to Canada from Moldova with her family and in her early years exploring her identity. We talk about the value of self-knowledge and understanding her strengths, how she practices vulnerability on a daily basis, her affirmations list, and of course we wrap it up with her perspective on Ikigai. Anya was introduced to me through Mark Henry. Uh, if you want to check out his episodes, uh, it's well worth a listen. I think it's episode number six. And I'm excited that I've gotten a chance to uh, be introduced to some fabulous people through this podcasting experience. If you have anyone in your community that might be a potential guest for this podcast, I am looking for guests for season three. Uh, so please feel free to email me at peter at ikigai.blog and I love to connect with them. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Anya. So thank you, Anya, for, for making the time. I, I really appreciate it. I'm excited that you're here and we get to have this conversation. Um, and one of the places that I, I typically like to start with uh, my guests is just to get to know a little bit of the origin story of um, you know, where you came from, what kind of environment it was for you. Um, what are some of those lessons at an early age that you learned? Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? bit of your origin story? Um, yeah, yeah, I would love to. Um, well, first off, Peter, I honestly just huge thank you. I'm, I'm more excited than anything about how we met and how it's such a small world that you end up kind of connecting with somebody through somebody. And it was just um, Mark being our mutual friend. I, it was, anyway, just really thank you for having me here. So this is really cool. Yeah. Um, so a little bit about the origin. Um, not a lot of people might know the place called Moldova, <laughs> but it's this tiny little country uh, in Eastern Europe, uh, which is where I'm from. So uh, it used to be part of the USSR, and it was actually kind of a mix back and forth between, you know, Romania and then Russia. Uh, so the people and actually the languages that we speak are quite a mix as well. So we have both. Um, and recently, like since the breakup the, uh, in 92, I believe it was, or 93, um, the country has moved more towards speaking more Moldovan, which is a dialect of Romanian. Um, and culturally, some of those things have changed as well. But my family and my background is very much Russian-Ukrainian, and that's where we come from. So that's my first language. Um, so my second language having been Romanian. So just a little bit of context as to like where I'm from. And I moved here to Canada at age 11. And I think one of the most important things uh, that I totally forgot um, up until just now kind of realizing is uh, my, my four sisters are probably the most pivotal or the most the biggest origin story 
mm. about me probably. Uh, I come from a pretty big family, so we're five girls, and I happen to be the youngest of five. So they'll oh, wow. tell you. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think I mentioned the words to you. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're all older, and uh, to them, they'll probably laugh at this later and say, like, finally you admit it, because I'm the most spoiled of all. That you're um, what, sorry? The most spoiled. Okay, yeah. Of all of us. Um, <laughs> I definitely know that... Oh my gosh, they're so going to laugh when they listen to this later. Um, but I've always known this, like parents have taken things out a little bit easier on me by the fifth. They kind of like let you figure out your own stuff and learn from your own mistakes rather than being super strict, which, are, which they definitely mm. were with my sisters. Um, but the reason I'm mentioning them is because they were actually a really big part of um, how I grew up, my thought process, um, who mm. I was and am into like becoming a human being and a person and they practically like raised me in a lot of ways as well um, right yeah it's, it's kind of cool and i just thought i'd mentioned my sisters um but that and immigration were pretty big for us um yeah so when did you move to canada with your family um so this was in 2000 the year 2000 when you know the world was supposed to end that whole thing <laughs> right <laughs> y2k uh, it was yeah. it was super interesting actually the whole millennial like that year how everybody was panicking and are we going to be able to save files and switch spots <laughs> and all this other stuff um, right it was at the end of the year 2000 so it's actually a fun like millennial to kind of go back to because then it's easy to count the years of how long we've been here so it's been yeah. 19 years now um and um I, I was the youngest as i mentioned so i was 11 at the time and um my oldest sister was 18 at the time so it was also interesting to, to see the progression of how different the immigration was for different ages and levels and like mm. how we interacted the types of groups we found ourselves um becoming friends with or associating with as well through school um so we first moved into east vancouver area um so it was actually a really diverse very big mix of group of people around me and i believe there was one russian speaking uh guy in my class or in the whole school actually that i was at uh but he's been in canada since age of three or four so his russian was very very um minimal mm -hmm. and uh, like all of my friends were honestly just a really big diverse group of friends so i found also, this has to do a lot with age because I was so young, but I learned English super, super fast. Um, mm. So by now, a lot of people kind of don't, like often will think I'm from here because generally um, I don't have much of an accent, except once in a while, there's going to be a funny thing that comes out once. Like, people are like, where are you from? What is this? Right. Thing? Yeah. So yeah, that was interesting. But we moved around a lot. Um, so I think it counted at one point. Also, I just in general moved around a lot um, from place to place, like outside of just my family. But overall, I counted in like 18 years and moved like 18 times. So that was like wow, crazy a little. Once a year, basically. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. like, I know a lot of friends and people who uh, were born in and grew up in like, you know, one house and that was their home all their lives or like two or three, maybe max. But I pretty much became like, a, I should maybe start a packing business or something because I'm really good at this now. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, so that's interesting. It's so fascinating um, hearing this story because there's so many parallels to my own. Um, I'd mentioned to, to you this before, but I moved to Canada when I was 12 years old and it was back in like 1998, 99. Mm -hmm. So, um, and it was with my mom, my sister and completely new country and new experience. And you really kind of relied on your family, you know, as kind of the the guiding, guiding force in a way to, to keep you grounded. Um, I'm, I'm curious to know, yeah. you know, 
around the dinner table each night with your four sisters, your mom and your dad, what was it like around that dinner table for you? Um, great question. I think the dinner table part ended up kind of falling apart early on. By falling apart, I don't mean it in a negative way, but um, so my sister is, I hope I don't cry today because I'm really good at that. <laughs> They're really emotional and I cry sometimes. Um, but honestly, it's because of appreciation. Like, uh, I, I also don't think I say this enough to my sisters about how much I appreciate when we came here to Canada. The two oldest ones went straight to work uh, with my parents and they were working uh, like night jobs, um, you know, at a bakery, cleaning up, janitorial, all this other stuff, whatever they needed to do to make the ends meet. Uh, and oh my gosh, it was just, just so appreciative of what they did and how, how much they sacrificed my two oldest sisters for kind of the rest of us because us, the younger ones, me and the other two, they're twins, um, we ended up going to school, so having figured a lot, a lot of that out. So a lot of the dinner table um, kind of environment was kind of gone from the beginning as soon as we moved here. We still had our dinners. They were just a lot less often. It wasn't every night. It wasn't so regimented. You know, come sit down 6 o'clock for dinner or 7 o'clock. Right. It was kind of snack and go get to the job because it's a night shift for my parents or my sisters or somebody else and, like, figure it out. Um, but when we did have them, it was very much appreciated. And uh, something I laugh about all the time is just how – direct uh, my family is and I think a part of it is just the way we grew up and another part of it is just culturally um, you might know this about a lot of Russians just in general like very straightforward people like you know if they think something they'll tell it to you to your face and that's the way it is yes. so if you know and and my dad having had five girls obviously he kept trying for a boy didn't work out in the end I was like sorry dad <laughs> but you'll get a tomboy instead um, so he was just always uh, challenging us to um, Kind of fight for our own still um like beat the boys no matter what like if we need to in a sport and whatever not in a negative way but in more of like take your place um don't be afraid to shoot for number one um if there's something direct he wanted to tell us about you know like our outfit or the hair or something else he would just go ahead and say it it's like oh it's Anya, what's wrong with your hair today you should probably fix that so it's very much kind of that direct very straightforward language um that i kind of laugh at still sometimes because of like memories of some comments um and just like oh yeah i should probably go fix this because i shouldn't go out like this um definitely never held back my, my parents and especially my dad never held back in having opinions yeah yeah so it, it sounds like the russian culture um had a heavy influence or a big influence in in your family and your your up, upbringing um what what elements of it still to this day um, you know, reflect in your own self-image and the way that maybe you process things or think about things. Uh, what's still with you today? And, I, and I'm sure it's a big part still if you moved at, you know, age 11. It's, it's a long time spending in that culture. So, yeah. To know. yeah. Um, I mean, they say a lot of your values and morals, they say, who's they, right? <laughs> but uh, they say a lot of values and morals get built up in you by the time, you know, age 11 or 12. Um, I'm sure it's not a black and white like number, but um, some people will find themselves really attached to their childhoods and other ones won't. Um, I, I found I somehow, I don't even know how really was attached to it. So I have a lot of very, very vivid memories. Um, and I even in the past had conversations with my sisters where they were really surprised that I remembered a lot of things that they didn't think I did. Mm. Um, but it, it was an interesting kind of, uh, I think topic of belonging really comes up to me a lot. Um, and again, I really try to like often have a more like positive outlook on things, but even being from Moldova, 
So there I've had as jokes, my Romanian friends or my Russian friends would, you know, kind of pick at you sometimes or joke and be like, oh, what are you? Because like kind of decide because I'm not really Russian, but then I'm not like Romanian either. So I'm like Moldovan and like, what does that mean? And, you know, um, or, you know, my last name and dad culturally is also like full lineage, all Ukrainians. So it's kind of like, who am I? And then on top of that, coming here to Canada and then very quickly, like for me, it was very important to integrate and become very much Canadian and um, almost be embarrassed uh, of a lot of things that were, uh, you know, whether it was Russian food or culture stuff or whatever it may have been. And I think only over the last few years, I became a lot more attached to it again Mm. because I realized how big of a role it played in me and still does in in the way I live, the way I think, the way I speak. Um, Like you mentioned earlier, you were asking, how big of a role it played in my upbringing. And I think um, just maybe becoming, being okay with who I am, like this is who I am and I am this little mix and that's what makes me unique. Uh, And it's just about pulling on when some of these features of me, whether it's being Russian or Canadian or Moldovan or Ukrainian, are, are good for me to pull on or when not. I'm not sure if I'm making sense right now, but. No, you you are. And, um, yeah, I think identity is just one of those big pieces in our lives that we almost take a lifetime to figure out. And if you're somebody who has, you know, um, immigrated from another country, or, you know, if you haven't, and you're, you feel like you're, um, you know, in, in identity wise, you, you feel like a minority, right? Whether you do appear like a minority um, in a different race or color or religion, or, um, you know, you look like everybody else, but you identify with different interests. Um, I think figuring in that, that out is, is really difficult. And especially at, at a teenage age, uh, at a young age, when culture is trying to tell you to be this way or think this way. Um, were there any tra- challenges for you when you were trying to make sense of it at a young age about who you were? And, you know, how, how did you kind of think through those challenges at at that point in your life? Uh, I don't know if a lot of thinking was necessarily done. (laughs) There, yeah. (laughs) 11 years old. Yeah, yeah, and even that, and then moving on to being 15 and 18 and 20, and some of the things, um, you know, you try to listen to advice from older people or things that are around me, and then you try to have this image of what I think I should be or can be, and then there's this actual stuff inside that you don't or maybe I didn't necessarily know how to listen into because something didn't feel right or something didn't really feel like it was me up until I was older. Probably. I mean, they're right to say they, again, <laughs> they're right to say now uh, that your brain, you know, doesn't stop developing until your mid twenties. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've really found the last maybe five to 10 years, uh, very, very pivotal because of thinking and me thinking about thinking and being able to embrace a lot more of like who I am and being okay with, uh, my thoughts and processing them in a lot more of a slower pace and an order rather than acting on things. Mm-hmm. So I used to, when I was younger, really act out a lot. So I, I honestly wouldn't wish the type of teenager that I was upon anybody else. Uh, but thinking about karma sometimes, and I joke to myself, that like, you know, when it comes to kids, I'm probably going to have kids that are just like me, just to be like, <laughs> um, I really feel, feel bad for my sisters and, and parents for having put up with me because I was very much acting on a lot of emotions. Um, I was very opinionated and I knew a lot of stuff. And I think now I'm realizing the more I learn, the more I like, I know nothing. Mm. <laughs> Similar to the more people travel, the more they realize, I think, 
often they haven't seen anything and there's still so much to see. Um, so it's actually, it's a very interesting question because then that's what I love about this is it's getting me to like think back to uh, years of my life where I haven't really put that much thought into this. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of cool that you're asking me this because I'm sure I'll be processing this for the next few days and weeks as well. Yeah. And I think hopefully for the rest of your life too, <laughs> yeah, in yeah. that, in that sense. Uh, well, so what I'm curious to know with this idea of self-knowledge and getting a better understanding of yourself, what, why is that and, and the corollary to it reflection um, important to you? Um, so I think, not I think, I know, uh, when I was a teenager, because I was acting out on these things, uh, rather than taking the time and thinking about it, um, certain things started coming up for me. Like I wasn't affecting people around me in a positive way. Um, I was losing certain, you know, relationships and friendships and stuff like that because of the way that I was acting. And, uh, I don't know if I was aware of it, but I guess it just kind of started attracting me to finding out a little bit more about what I'm about and uh, why I think the way I do and like slowing down a little bit. So it started by, I believe it was actually my oldest sister um, gave me this CD. Like I was driving in my car and I think I was maybe 17 or 18 at the time. And she gave me the CD. It was a Wayne Dyer's hundred ways to transform your life. Okay. Um, and it was just interesting. It was one of those CDs that got me thinking a lot about like how to be a better human. And like, what does that even mean? Because I never really thought of that before. And right around the same time, I started, I was just starting, uh, you know, college and uh, some of those little assessments started coming up, like about, you know, personality assessments, some other things. And a lot of those tend to give you back a lot of self-reflection. Um, so actually now thinking back, I would highly recommend for anybody that's, um, you know, teenagers, maybe it should be a must in schools, like do a lot more self-reflective assessments or something like that so that you can start introspecting and seeing how you behave in the world and how you affect others around you. Mm -hmm. And how, if you want to, can you become a better human? Uh, whatever that means for you, again. Uh, but, you know, all these small things ended up compounding. And I really believe now in the compound effect. And mm -hmm. uh, once you start attracting these tiny little things, kind of this law of attraction starts playing out. And um, you start attracting more and more of them and they become these opportunities over time where doors start opening to you. And if you wish to, if you want to, it's honestly up to you and it's completely within my power to open them and walk through them and, and then continue exploring. Uh, so I think what ended up happening, I don't even know how or why, but I ended up choosing to continue exploring this. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe that reflection when people gave me feedback or comments or, I mean, my sisters and family, I said, they're very direct. So they were the first to tell me that I was very difficult and that I needed to really figure out my attitude and how I react to things. And that came from, as I mentioned as well, from my early on, um, you know, friendships and relationships. And I've lost, you know, a, a friend or two because they were just like, you know, I can't be around you. And it was all of a sudden like a big hit in the face, like, oh my gosh, like, am I really that bad? Mm. Um, and then I found yoga. Um, and it was, yeah, it was, it was really interesting. Yoga was an interesting part where, the first thing I remember thinking is realizing how much breath has to do with me thinking clearer. It seems like such a simple thing for a lot of people because maybe they're taught to do this since you're young, but I never was necessarily like a lot of breath work, but realizing just to like, if I feel agitated, if I'm feeling on edge or if something's coming up where I really, really want to react just to slow down and not react, which takes so much power and so much will, um, 
and just breathe. Honestly, just take a few deep breaths because that allows more oxygen to come into my brain cells and be able to like help them relax a lot more and think a lot clearer and not react and rather be a lot more proactive about the things that I say or do. Yeah. Do you have any recommendations for breathing techniques? I'm, I'm curious, you know, just not to get too nitty gritty here, but <laughs> I, I do believe in the power of, of breathing because that really, you know, uh, can help manage our sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems and, and connect us to, you know, our body a little bit more. So I'm, I'm just curious. Yeah. What, what do you use on a regular basis from a breathing standpoint? Yeah. The one I always go back to is box breathing. Uh, yeah. So I think I use it in a lot of places, including the army, including a lot of other, uh, but it's really for like five seconds, breathe in, inhale, uh, and just count up to five and then hold it for five seconds and then exhale for five seconds, super slowly. So, and then hold again for five seconds. So it's, it's kind of called box breathing and funny enough, it's become a thing that grandma and I do now. I started spending a lot more time with my grandma over the past, maybe six months or so. We have weekly Tuesday date nights where we go. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> honestly it's, it's been super fun and it's been actually allowed me like selfishly me slow down as well mm. um i probably chat about that a little bit later but uh her and i do this thing where we start doing like our 21 breaths 21 has just always been a number i go back to it's just um so 21 of like the box breathing breaths. right and her and Repetitions. i will come down to the part and do that that is so cool your grandma is is sounds like the coolest lady <laughs> that's awesome and date night uh, on tuesdays is great so you do 20 21 of these breath works and then at the end you kind of come back and you, you feel you feel what when you after you do those repetitions um on, honestly just slowing down and it's interesting you ask this because sometimes i never thought of myself as a person who's very uh like quick and witty in the moment. Like you say something and I won't necessarily always have like a super snappy, like come back and like be super like on my feet. Uh, instead, I'm very big on like processing and thinking and introspecting a lot. Mm. Introspecting, is that a word? Being introspective? We'll have to check, yeah. <laughs> we <laughs> might have just made, made up a word there. Yeah, sometimes I'll say funny things, but um, so I'm very much a thinker. So I, what I've learned actually from that is instead of having an answer right away, um, first of all, is there necessarily an answer for everything? Um, and if there is, if there's something I need to make a decision for work, does it have to be made right now? Or is it possible for me to take a little bit of time to think about this and process things? Right. Um, so I started doing that a lot in, um, honestly, even conversations with my CEO or, um, negotiations or anything like that. And sometimes I, if I say I've become more comfortable with asking for what I need and what I need sometimes is more time. And honestly, yeah. what it is. And I'll say, you know what? I don't have the answer for you right now, but if that's all right with you, I'll think on this a little bit and I'd love to get back to you in a bit. Because that's the way, uh, I think it's honestly just be, be being more true to myself and knowing where my strengths lie. Mm. And my strengths don't often lie in making decisions, really quick snap decisions right away. And sometimes I need to think about it. Um, and me being, having the confidence to ask for that time is uh, probably the toughest part because sometimes you're sitting around the table with executives or your CEO or somebody else and um, just asking for that time because I know that that's what I need and that's what I've learned more about myself. Yeah. I love that. And we were chatting earlier, um, before this conversation, you mentioned, uh, how strengths finders from Gallup has really helped you just identify some of the strengths that you innately have and, and lean on those. Um, can you tell us a little bit about 
you know, just briefly what StrengthsFinders is and, and how it's helped you just clarify your strengths a little bit more? Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. So first off, I think StrengthsFinders is just one of the tools of the many that somebody can have in their toolbox. Um, and I see you like nodding there. So yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there are many out there. Yeah. The reason I kind of stuck with that one for a little while or over the last few years is because uh, it tends to be like strengths focused, quite positive, and honestly just allows you to reflect upon yourself a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think by any means things should be taken. Um, it's my opinion, black and white. And like, this is the only way to do this. And these are my strengths. And that's it. That's all I'm going to stick to. Yep. Uh, definitely a lot more exploration than that. Um, so I mentioned, I started with a few like reading materials or CDs or other assessments when I was in my late teens. Uh, and then into the early twenties, I kept um, discovering more and more of them. So I've done a bunch of these different types of assessments. There was Myers-Briggs, there's others. Mm-hmm. I, I can't even recall them now, but having even done our um, coaching program that I did a couple of years ago, I could probably chat about that a little later, but um, lots of these assessments. And I, I really like the Strengths Finder because it was just the first step for myself to self-reflect about um, what strengths mean to me. And not all strengths necessarily need to be played on at all times. And probably a more important discovery is sometimes strengths can also be weaknesses. Right. Um, for example... I'll just give you an example. One of the top ones for me is uh, two of them is like learner, which, you know, I love learning and absorbing information, which is great. But also another one that affects it quite strongly is activator. So I like Mm -hmm. to really act on and like kind of get shit done, just like go ahead and do it. Um, Which, which is all really great, but sometimes uh, it might not serve me well to, um, to pull on that strength in the, at the time, like when will I go ahead and just jump into something without thinking about it? Mm. Is it going to serve me well in that moment? Or if I'm working within a team and somebody else really needs a lot more time to think about stuff, plan a project rather than just jumping into it. um, Maybe I just need to be also aware of their strengths and what they bring to the table. And I need to have a look and maybe say, okay, Anya, maybe I need to hold the activator right now. And what can I learn from this person and how they interact or what, what they see the success of this project looking like. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. uh, I agree. I think with these types of self-assessments, they do show a glimpse of of who you are, but certainly not the the full picture. And and it, like you said, should not be taken so literally, because as you're saying, you know, a, a strength could be a weakness if you're over leveraging it. And um, I just read a book called Range by David Epstein, which talks about how generalists um, are the ones that kind of you know half in jest are, are the ones that will be the future of the world because they're able to better synthesize information that specialists might not be able to like it's they're they're siloed if you're specialized in one knowledge and you get it is a really good example of um nasa back in i think the 90s or, or 2000s with the challenger disaster that happened and the backstory of what happened there was um you know nasa has this huge emphasis on data and unless you bring data to the table you your thoughts your opinions your observations will not count they, they even went as far as saying um in god we trust everyone else bring data right so it's a culture it's an identity of we want to be analytical and we want the data in front of us but from some of the earlier tests that they did with some of the parts is a piece called the o-ring this is a rubber piece in the, the space shuttle that 
ruptured when um, the the temperature of the launch was you know too low. Mm-hmm. But and there there are a few people who noticed this and brought this up, but they didn't have enough quantifiable data or you know statistically significant, I guess, to say, hey, we should look at this. Otherwise, we might be in trouble. So they didn't have the courage or confidence to kind of um, bring it up just because that's the identity of that organization. Um, so that's an example of an organization just being so focused on its strength and then taking that to a whole nother level where people can't uh, be a little bit more flexible, be a little bit more malleable with their identities because it needs to shift, it needs to change. And I think that's true for individuals as well. Um, yeah, I love that. Um, I'm going to make sure to put that on my reading list. Might already be, I'm not sure if you've mentioned this to me in the, in our past conversation. Um, so yeah. I'm, I'm curious to know, so something that we talked about before was this idea of um, vulnerability as a path to getting to know yourself a little bit better and, 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 and self-discovery. Um, you know, how, how do you, how do you practice vulnerability? It, it's like, even just talking about it for me, feels like, uh, I'm already a little bit self-conscious. Um, what does vulnerability mean to you? And, and how do you, how do you try to practice it every day? Um, oh my gosh, I love vulnerability. Sometimes I suck at it, but I try to remind myself to, it's, it's tough because I think when you're younger or at least in the Western world in school and, and, uh, work, there was this interesting concept. I'm not sure if anybody else thought of it, but I, it was very much on top of my mind is I always wanted to be older. I always wanted to be taken more seriously. I wanted, always wanted to have a seat at the table, uh, be part of making decisions. And uh, I always had like this baby face uh, and it was just kind of funny. I was like always trying to like look and sound older. Um, and then it's interesting. I was always curious about like, what is that perfect age? Because then you see all the older people just being like, no, 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 I want to be younger. So it's like, what's this perfect age? And I guess the answer, like there is no answer. There's maybe is no perfect age. Um, but vulnerability, I think it was really, really tough to practice when I was um, late teens, like early mid twenties, because it's hard to admit you don't know something because you're trying so hard to impress people and to try to climb a certain ranks at work or in school or something else to be able to impress and say like, you know, like I do know what I'm talking about. You should listen to me. Mm. Um, but over the last few years, I've become a lot more comfortable. And I think I've learned from uh, some mentors and CEOs and older people that um, I actually value uh, humility a lot. Like when people are very like humble about what it is that they've done um, or haven't done and just being very transparent around the fact that rather than making up an answer, just saying, you know what, I actually don't know, uh, but I would love to find out. Can I get back to you on that? Mm -hmm. Uh, Or sometimes being vulnerable enough to say I was wrong. And oh my gosh, that's the toughest part to say. Um, I'm currently writing, I don't know if uh, I told you about this or not, but uh, I'm writing kind of around this concept of, Uh, like our our centric beliefs and Mm -hmm. what we feel like when they get attacked and we get defensive and those defense walls kind of get put up. And then what happens is often, um, and these days, whether it's political environment or something else, we end up having these arguments with the other side or just thinking the other side is stupid, right? Rather Mm -hmm. than exploring it and being like, well, actually, is it possible that I don't know something? Is it possible that I'm making assumptions about some information that I have? Uh, is it possible that I'm like in an echo chamber, I think, as they call it, mm-hmm. uh, surrounded by people that only share the same opinions as me? Like, what more can I learn about the other side or some other views? Um, 
And I think just having that mentality and being vulnerable enough to be able to say, I don't know, teach me, mm -hmm. or I know some information, but it might be limited. Uh, I think it be, can be extremely empowering because just because honestly, I love learning and to not limit myself and myself and um, have these limiting beliefs in the future as a girl. I think I'm just very aware of, you always see like these jokes in cartoons or in movies, like of this like old person on their porch, just like super grumpy, like having really strong opinions on things. And this is the way it is. And that's the only way it is. Right. Uh, I really hope to become more and more open-minded as I grow older. And I really hope to discover more of that. Um, and it's actually really exciting just seeing like how, how far my self analysis and reflection has come in the last five to 10 years. And I, I hope I can look back to this in another five, 10 years and be like, Oh, Anya, you didn't know anything. <laughs> but yeah. I think just keeping that curiosity open and being so going back to vulnerability, um, there's so much strength in vulnerability, um, in honesty and in transparency and being able to have open conversation with each other and, and to learn from each other. Um, I'll so, pause that because sometimes I can keep going forever. <laughs> no, no, that, that was great. Um, just kind of make it practical in, in your life and how you show up with that, that vulnerability. Um, is there anything in particular uh, that you do or moments you look for where, yeah, this is a great opportunity for me to be vulnerable? Um, what, can you give me a couple of examples if, if any come to mind? Um, I mean, in my relationship, probably a lot, uh, definitely. So, and I think that comes to relationships, uh, whether it's your partner or whether it's your friendships, um, being able to question things and sometimes just say, uh, I don't know, or, Hey, you know, I reacted here. So I was talking about the self-defense right. and reaction. I think a lot of that sometimes comes very automatically. Like, all of a sudden, let's say you say something bad about me being Russian or Russians as a whole. So all of a sudden I was just like, what the heck are you talking about? So I put this big wall and all of a sudden, anything you say from this point forward, I just kind of get closed minded towards it. And I'm just like, you don't know anything. You're being super judgmental. All the while I'm kind of putting up the same judgments and, not, and I'm not being open to being like, actually, I'm curious about what your perspective is. So sometimes it doesn't happen in the moment, but I think I talked earlier about taking the time to think and process things. I'm really mm -hmm. using that to my advantage over the last little while in my life. And then being able to go back and with vulnerability with very much to say, you know what? I reacted there in that moment. Um, I feel like I blocked off what you were going to say. Would you mind actually expanding on that? Mm -hmm. So, I, I mean, that's one example. I'm not sure if it was concrete enough or maybe I'm still being too vague, but I, I no. think it happens almost daily to me now. And sometimes it's not in the moment. It's really hard in the moment to realize, but afterwards, do you have the strength to come back and be like, you know what? I made a quick snap decision or judgment. Um, I'd like to learn more. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think it's really helpful um, because there's, a, I think there's a process to this, right? Where you, you have to first be able to catch yourself that you're being triggered. Like if there's no awareness that there is suddenly this feeling of anger or disappointment or a feeling of attack, but you just kind of respond and, you know, react, um, you're just kind of letting your fight or flight system do its thing. But what you're describing to me sounds like it's just first processing it. First have some sort of, you know, entry gate where you realize, okay, here's an emotion passing through. Can I understand it? Can I make sense of it before it, it goes 
potentially out of control. Yeah. Um, just realizing that it's what's happening because you're honestly, you're just not aware, at least speaking from my own experience, I'm very, I have a pretty explosive personality. Um, like overall, so I can be very, very reactive, but it's about like kind of simmering that fire down a little bit and using it when I need to, when it serves me well. And then sometimes just being like, you know what, chill out a little bit fire yeah. <laughs> and be cool for a moment. Um, and sometimes you don't realize because sometimes I'll have these little flashes of fire still come up. And then yeah. honestly, this is very, very personal from my experience. Other people might not ever, ever experience this and are super cool, calm and collected all the way through. <laughs> so, um, but I'm actually, I'm drawing out a little chart these days. So, um, this is great because you have like right behind you, the poster. And we talked about this before, just ship it. And I'll listen to your podcast with Andrew Smith, I believe it was it's about here. just shipping it here. Okay. Sorry. Um, so about just shipping it. So uh, I'll put out this chart around, I think a little graphic, not chart, but like visually the way I see it, how to recognize when these things are happening, when we put on that self-defensive mode and react rather than slow down and think. I love it. Yeah. And we can link it to the show notes um, so people can can see it. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. Um, you know, in terms of your, your work and your career, um, did you think you'd be doing what you'd be doing right now? Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. No. <laughs> uh, so just to give some context uh, to people listening in, I, I currently work with um, a company called Predictable Revenue. So it's within sales. Um, and uh, it's like a sales kind of methodology and training uh, and uh pretty much helping people do uh, have outbound success and like finding new business and how do we find this new business? So I work uh, really closely with one of our uh, co-founders, co-CEOs, Aaron Ross on the consulting side. So my job is uh, to be an outbound sales trainer and a consultant uh, and a program manager. So I kind of manage and create a lot of these programs. I actually run through them with the customers and do a lot of client success and account management. Um, and, and really I ended up kind of falling into sales a lot more over the past few years. Uh, realizing that it's something I enjoy because before I, I did a lot of sales. I've done sales since I was like 15 years old. I did, you know, maybe four years of like door to door knocking and that was just really fun. So totally uh, took me out of my uh, super shy immigrant self and really helped me be able to like speak a lot more confidently. Mm -hmm. um, I did some, a little stint in telemarketing. I've done retail restaurants, uh, about 10 years working in restaurants. So worked at the banks, so honestly such a big mix. And when I finished school, uh, marketing was something I uh, envisioned myself going into, and that's where my major was. Mm. Uh, and there was something really interesting that one of the instructors talked about. He was talking about all these different campaigns he was doing. And I think it was, it was for a company for Listerine or like a similar company like that, and how uh, they were able to put stats around how many dentists in the city, for example, Vancouver, use Listerine by going ahead and giving like free promotional Listerine huge, like one or two liter bottles to their offices. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just an example. And then being able to say, you know, like 90% of dentists in uh, the area use Listerine in their offices. Right. Um, and it was really interesting concept to me because it was all of a sudden about this kind of how do you use data um, and like use promotions and marketing and started, I started asking myself ethical questions and moral questions of what I want to kind of stand behind. And that's when I realized I was really into um, people development, uh, kind of a little bit more like active, um, uh, active world and um, 
I just pretty much told myself that I would work with companies. I, I love marketing and everything about it, but sometimes it can not have data that's 100% true, or there's certain things that will be set on labels that are like all natural, but like, what does it mean? Um, and you know, there's a lot of gray in between that. So I just told myself that I would only work for companies that I truly believe in that are moral and ethical and something that I would feel proud of putting out there. Um, and then I ended up kind of doing that as well as a lot of business development for the company I was working at at the time. And then I moved into account management with predictable revenue. And then over the last couple of years, um, a lot more of the sales training. And um, sorry, I feel like I'm kind of going around and around here, but it's just an interesting piece to kind of reflect back on because I really jumped around a lot. I was never one of those people that knew when I was 10 years old that I wanted to be an astronaut. Like even my, in my late teens and early twenties, I tried out a lot of jobs. But again, that's for me, that's what worked best. And I'm very much a doer. I need to experience it to know if it works for me or not. Right. Uh, like at one point I thought uh, I wanted to be a lawyer and I actually went ahead and spent some time, <coughs> excuse me, uh, with a lawyer or I thought I wanted to be a teacher. So I went back to my old elementary school teacher and I asked her if I can spend a day with her. Or I thought I wanted to be a police officer. And uh, I went back and actually spent a day right, driving around in a car with a police officer and seeing and asking them a lot of questions and seeing what that day was like. Wow, that's uh, really cool. It's probably like very much to the next level of what most people wouldn't do. But I think that's why a lot of like informational interviews and meeting people really helped me figure out um, what I'm best at. Yeah. is is by actually experiencing it and seeing what it's like from their perspective what their actual day looks like is it something i see myself in or not uh and do i have an answer today what i'm going to be in 10 years probably still not uh yeah. and that's totally okay i've become very very comfortable with that because i know that i found out there's certain certain things i'm really good at mm -hmm. and uh, it could be like process development and then people development uh, and like people success, whether it's clients or people. And what I choose to make that in the next five to 10 years is completely still open to me. Um, and maybe that's a part of vulnerability as well. Right. Um, it, yeah. it also sounds like at an early stage in your career, you already had this sense of the, the, the concept of Ikigai actually has already been kind of in the background for you, uh, even at that stage, when a you committed to yourself that you wanted to do work that has meaning and impact in the world, and also that something that you're personally good at, something that you feel like you can create something valuable valuable out of, and and that's you know part of the elements of ikigai is combining those two, and um, that that seems that seems like a really um, powerful place to be when you have that sense of direction that these are some of the things that will drive my career. I don't know what they look like, but at least I have a sense of uh, direction. Yeah. Um, I'm curious. Part yeah. of that is, is uh, defining success, um, your mm -hmm. own success. Like, what does it mean for you? Does it mean that I have to specifically um, go through this corporate kind of ladder and, you know, next stage is director level, next stage is VP level, next stage is like, you know, having to be a CEO or CRO or something else. Um, and maybe it doesn't. And just being very open-minded around what my path could look like and defining it myself and almost creating my own list of criteria. Um, so that to me is pretty exciting is um, what Anya will look like in 10 years. Um, I can take a lot from other people's experiences, but in the end, uh, I am so unique and individual in my own way that it'll be important for me to create my own criteria to take off for what that success looks like. Right. And, and you shared with me this 
I don't know if these are your criteria per se, but um, a list of, you know, affirmations or, or um, principles or mantras, whatever you want to call it, um, that you've put together into these 21 different, um, you know, affirmations. And, and a few of them, I'm just going to read out here. And they're all wonderful and wise. Um, some of my favorites are, you know, I reflect and humbly apologize when needed. Talking about humility a little bit earlier and vulnerability. I choose to wake up with a smile uh, and I am better than myself yesterday. Uh, why'd you create this, this list? And, and how do you apply these in a, you know, on a daily basis? So, oh, I think you can't see from the balloons, but in the back, I also have a printed that kind of yellow thing sticking out from there. So yeah, it's yeah. I look at it every day as well. Uh, and it's a weird thing to print and have a poster because all of a sudden there was the sense of vulnerability of like, Oh, what if my friends or family come over and they look at it and be like, what is this? <laughs> right? There's even that vulnerability in like printing something simple like this. Um, but how this came about was, um, there's certain things that, uh, I want to be, am I that every day? No. Do I still make mistakes? Like, I mean, holy crap, like too many all the time, but that's okay. It's like, it, for me, it's all about reflection. Uh, and as long as I learn from what I've done, um, in the past to move forward, forward. And like you've read one of those is, um, I, I, I am better than my yesterday self or something like that. And, um, I just honestly want to be a better human being each and every single day. Uh, so what I started doing was years ago, I started writing these affirmations and a lot of it is like, I, I digest a lot of books. I, I won't say I read them because I listen to them mostly. I can't sit still for too long. So I do a lot of audio. Um, so, um, so I digest a lot of like books and a lot of them have been like years ago over like a lot of self growth development and stuff like that. So I started writing all these notes. Um, another thing I found that really worked very well for me is instead of also reacting in things, uh, because I need to like put it out there for the world and give my opinion right away, I would write it down instead. So I started using note taking, uh, journals, uh, a lot more seriously over the last few years. So I started writing down all these little notes as things would come up. Mm -hmm. Uh, they weren't necessarily things that I am right now. Um, or that I always practice, but it's always something I strive to be or want to be. So, which is why I decided to call them affirmations or principles or like rules and laws to live by for myself. Yeah. Um, so, and then all of a sudden they started becoming kind of this list. There was like 10, 12, 15. And even now I think I have another couple. And then a big part of it sometimes is condensing them and, and killing some words, so to speak. Um, and mm. uh, say more with less. Uh, so maybe in the end, I'll end up in another five, 10 years with only five of them or 10 of them, whatever that means. Uh, but to who I am today, this list, plus maybe another couple that aren't on there, um, are what I kind of try to live by. Um, and it just helps remind me each day to um, just be better, do, do better for others. And, and that's another thing. I, I'm not sure if all the readers will know who Jordan Peterson is, but he has, and actually uh, Ray Dalio has a book on principles. Mm -hmm. um, Jordan Peterson has like 12 books, uh, 12 rules of life. And then there's some other ones as well. But one of the ones that really stands out to me a lot from Jordan Peterson is uh, clean up your own room. Mm -hmm. And what he means by that is before you go ahead and try to solve um, you know, your company issues or political issues or world hunger or problems, like have you looked at yourself, have you self-reflected into um, who you are, what you come across as a human being, um, how you put yourself out into the world and really take a look at your own room, like have you cleaned it up? Mm -hmm. And I think that's very, very powerful. Uh, I'm not saying by any means that anybody should stop to try and save the world and make it better, but I think it's also just really, really important for us to um, take a look at ourselves as well. Yeah. 
This is fabulous. I am also trying to work on one myself um, and collecting my notes from the years or things that are in my head and, and just putting it down on paper because it makes it real. And I love how you said that it's going to evolve. You know, what you have on your your poster right now or on your computer doesn't have to be the final version. In fact, it'll be kind of disappointing if it was the final version, but yeah. at least to have a standing po starting point is, uh, is, is really helpful. Um, the other thing I really like about this is, you know how like companies have in their core values and they're just listed like integrity, um, you know, uh, what are some other ones, uh, you know, stakeholder, uh, you know, ma management, there's a bunch like that just come off as staid and just super beige and not actionable. But what you're doing is making these values come to life and, and it makes it a little bit easier to know, okay, this is, this is what this value in action looks like, which is principle in action. So, yeah. um, so that was really neat. And I, and I honestly think it's interesting that you say that about companies is sometimes companies will have these um, things that are, you know, five or 10 or 20 years old. And do the people that are now currently at this company still live and breathe these values? Are they still relevant for them? Um, and part of like the coaching program that I did a couple of years ago with UBC is also uh, the, the second half of it. The second term is really focused on organizational uh, coaching and what it's like systems thinking and a lot more of like how my group, my team can affect another team or just in general, how people kind of uh, work together, how they affect each other's opinions, decisions, all of this. So I think it could actually be really, really powerful for companies to um, make these very malleable and uh because every single person that comes into a company makes it already a totally different company just because of what they bring to the table yeah. and I, i'm very much like my own approach is very much an individualistic approach i honestly think that every human out there has like this extraordinary potential and is just about tapping into it whatever it might mean and it doesn't mean that you have to be a ceo it could be that you're a wonderful mother but that's just like what you're honestly best at or whatever it is um but just about tapping into that individual um, potential and like helping people be the best that they can be as cheesy as this sounds right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, but it's true. But, but I, I think those values really, it is important to change them. It is important that every single person um, feels bought into what they bring to the table when they read those values in a company. And this could be even on a team level. Like you're all of a sudden working with a team, like with just my sales team, for example, there's five of us working. Should we create our values together? Like what do we value as a team? Uh, and what are the things important to us? And same with my partnership, for example. You know, is it important for us to have a certain set of criteria of like this is what we want to live by and this is what's important for us as a partnership? Um, I don't know. It could be interesting. I, yeah. You're speaking my language right now. We could probably go <laughs> another two hours on this specific yeah, topic. <laughs> um, so I'm curious, you know, this podcast, of course, is about Ikigai and connecting um, to your purpose in life and your reason for being many different aspects of what makes up who we are, whether it be um, our work, whether it be our relationships, our hobbies, interests, um, connecting even to our, you know, physical and mental health and, and living as a whole human being. Um, what does Ikigai mean to you what what drives purpose in your life oh my <laughs> where do i start 
I think what's most exciting about Ikigai and kind of reflecting on it now is, and, and actually just from a lot of the conversation that we've just said, uh, we just talked about is yeah. the fact that it's an evolving process, uh, mm-hmm. not necessarily a black and white answer. And even as soon as I have an answer, uh, can I ask more questions is kind of my question or like, can I, can I go even deeper? Um, I think embracing vulnerability is very big and um, really bringing myself to everything that I do as much as I can. Sometimes it can be scary because we have all these uh, criteria that's being put out by others or the world or social media or something else of what you should be. And sometimes we get, I get caught up in that all the time too. Um, But I don't think I'm going to do anybody good service if I try to be something else or someone else or try to fit another criteria. I will do uh, my partnerships, my family, my friendships, my, um, my work and like, anybody that I work with or come in contact with the most service if I um, figure myself out and know what I'm really best at and what I bring to the table um, and just really um, stand up for it, stand up for what I think is right and um, not be afraid to have a voice yet also hopefully being humble enough to, to want to hear other people's voices and other opinions and want to learn and want to keep growing. Mm. Maybe that was a really long answer, but I just, um, opportunity has always been like really big for me. And I think it's because in a sense it was drilled in since, you know, immigrating here. I know that my parents, um, left behind, uh, their lives, their, you know, um, their business, they're both computer engineers, which obviously they're not here, um, because, uh, they would have to completely go back to school together. So they have kind of these, what I'll call it as immigrant jobs. Um, and they're super smart people. And I know that they did all of that. They left everything behind for us because they knew they had five daughters and they wanted us to have opportunity. And I think that world word has really been, um, big for me and my sisters and just try to, um, if something comes our way, like not take it for granted. Um, and also just be really, really appreciative of it. Uh, mm-hmm. I think years ago, not I think, definitely I did it years ago when I just finished um, college or university. It was, um, I started this blog and it was all around appreciation or like 21 days of appreciation or 21 days more learning about nutrition or like all these different 21 day projects. That's but cool. the first one was about appreciation. Yeah. Um, and honestly, just having the vulnerability to say out loud to people, hey, you know what? I appreciate you. I really appreciate all these things you've done and then putting it out into the world like that. Um, super vulnerable again as well, but it can be also super, uh, just rewarding, just so rewarding. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, yeah, I loved your answer. And I, I think there's, there's so much, um, heart there about what you want to accomplish, not just for yourself, but for, others in the world and, and being kind of a, it almost sounds like you want to be a role model for others is, is what I, what I'm sensing. You're, you're sharing information. You, you started up these blogs to unpack some of the things that you're working on, not just because you benefit out of it, but you're hoping that, you know, you can say here, I made this. What do you, you know, would this be useful for you? Um, what does, why is it so important for you to connect with others? What, why is that a big part of your ikigai? And maybe I'm putting words in your mouth and I apologize if that's, that's the case, but I'm. Unacceptable. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's, it's great. I never, yeah, I never necessarily thought of it that way or maybe, maybe I did. Um, but I think 
sorry, I kind of like I had this like train of thought and now I kind of lost myself a little bit, I think, just in my own thought. Um, my fault. No, no, it's it's okay. Um, you actually said something really interesting there. And um, so I think the reason why I put things out there is I don't always know what I'm going to get out of it. And that's okay. I think just being okay with not necessarily always be so calculated. Um, you know, how kind of using my left and right sides, my like masculine energy, my feminine energy, and like knowing kind of what to build on and when I need to build on it. Not everything always needs to be so calculated and so factual. I don't know exactly like, here's the business plan. Here's what, gonna, what I'm going to put out in the world. Here's the money I'm going to make from it. And here's what is going to come out of it. Um, I'm pretty big into just uh, trying things as you've heard from some of my other things. Like sometimes I don't know what's going to happen. I'm just going to put this out there. Maybe nobody will read it, but maybe something really, really cool could come from it. And so far in my experience, some really, really cool things have come from just putting things out there in the world. Uh, because when I was uh, in Toronto a couple of weeks ago and I met with Mark because we were in the same coaching program, he mentioned in passing, as we started diving deeper into like, you know, the meaning of life and all this other stuff over, uh, over a drink, um, he mentioned you and your podcast and all of a sudden I got really, really intrigued. And it's just about being open to those opportunities and putting things out there to the world and sharing them with people. You don't know what's going to come out of it. Mm -hmm. um, and I've kind of treated uh, maybe like kindness or a job or, or any other opportunity that comes my way that way as well. Um, I've met so many people for coffees and um, I try to in general help when I can, if it's within my power um, and not because I want something out of it, not because there's going to be a monetary thing. It's just, honestly, it makes me feel good to, to do this and to kind of put this out or to meet with these people and, um, some really, really wonderful things in my life have come from that, whether it was job opportunities, amazing connections, the people that I surround myself with, which I really do truly believe that just this law of attraction of attracting the people that you surround yourself with and become your circle. Uh, you just become more of that. And they will in the end be like your biggest cheerleaders, no matter what you do. And the most empathetic, kindest humans that are there for you when you need the most. Um, and it's, it's quite cool. I yeah. think I'm going to run another uh, ramble, <laughs> but no, no, that was great. Uh, I certainly feel the same thing having, launch this podcast uh there's certainly a lot of um support that i didn't really know it was there until you put yourself out there and 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 being a little bit vulnerable i think people really do admire that and and identify with it when they see it out there because it inspires them you know not not to say this is like what i'm doing is inspiring um lots of people but um you know it's it's even if it does one or two people, it's uh, it's pretty nice. And these conversations are always inspiring too. Um, as we, yeah, sorry, go ahead. I was going to ask since you're, and my apologies, I know you're the one here asking all the questions, but I'm just really curious, um, what have been some of the biggest surprises for you having launched this? Um, I'd just yeah. be really curious to hear. Some of the biggest surprises, yeah. Um, I was going to ask that question to you, so, but I can I can start. Um, you know, so one of the things that, um, it, it's on the poster behind me, just ship it. Um, something that you learn about shipping work out there in the world is that it's hard at the start. It's like rolling, you know, it's, it's like 
rowing a boat or pushing a, a boulder up a hill. It, it, it's, it's tough and it's slow when you get going and not because the work is tough, but it's actually the mental fear that comes with it. The vulnerability is the tough part because you imagine all of the things that could go wrong or all of the things that maybe people will think or say about what you produce. Um, but once you get some momentum, it really does make a big difference. Um, I'm not particularly good at this yet. Like I'm still working on my ability to have better conversations and become a better interviewer and put up better stuff. But once you start, and this comes from James Clear and his book, Atomic Habits, once you start casting your casting votes in service of your identity of who you want to be, you start believing it yourself at a subconscious level. You know, every episode or every moment I spend with this podcast is a vote for myself saying, I'm a podcaster, I can do this. And I think it's really important that, you know, whether it's a daily habit or the mantras, we cast a vote for the type of people, type of person we want to be every day, because that will build up and that will show proof and give you the confidence to keep yourself going. Um, so that's, that's been pleasantly surprising because it's there. Um, but certainly it doesn't, you know, avoid the potential dip of when you're at a certain amount of episodes or doing this in the middle of the night and trying to figure out why is this program crashing all the time? I can't release this podcast. Um, there's definitely going to be those moments and, and acknowledging that too uh, and, and being aware things won't go perfectly. That yeah. makes it a little bit easier. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. We forget sometimes. Um, I put that down actually to read Atomic Habits as well. So thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Um, or not read, maybe listen in my case. Uh, but we forget that people are generally kind and they want to help you. And uh, I really do think that a lot of the people are like really good people and are super supportive. And we're so afraid sometimes of actually stuff our own judgments and we forget and we think that it's judgments that other people will put on us, but that's not often the case. It's our own, like we're our own kind of enemy in that sense. We're standing in our own way. So it's really cool that you said that because most people will be so supportive and non-judgmental in a negative way whatsoever. Yeah. Well, and, and just to, you know, build on that, there's actually no value in thinking people are not judgmental. Like if you don't start from a place where you believe in the kindness of others, you're already, you're already going to be in trouble because there's no point in worrying about what other people are going to say, because it only creates unnecessary worry that you'd have no control over anyways. Even if somebody does come up with something critical to say, what, what use does it have in your life to worry about a potential criticism? So actually it's really funny. They're talking about judgment right now. Just yesterday. I have these like daily thoughts sometimes and I'll like come home and be so excited, like to my partner and just be like, guess what? <laughs> I've got a thought today. And he just kind of looks at me like, okay, it's, it's I'm ready to listen. The daily but, segment. <laughs> Anya's daily thought of the day segment. Yeah. I should Love totally it. start those. Um, just ship it. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yesterday was one on judgment and it's one of those things like I judge, you judge, we all judge, but none of us want to be judged. And it's an interesting thing that we're so afraid of that word for some reason, but that's because I think in a sense we've made it kind of negative. Um, But sometimes it can be turned around and maybe it should be turned around because we make a lot of judgment calls each day on like how to act on what opportunities to take or to cross the road or not to cross. And if, if a car is coming, sort of these, all these observations that we're making around 
uh, around us and we make these judgment calls. And a lot of the times they're very positive things and just, this is how I make my decisions in life. Um, so it's not to say, I, I, so I judge people, but it's not in a negative way. It's more like in an observing way. It's like, okay, this is interesting. You did this. This has been your experience. Uh, I think judgment becomes negative when I start holding on to those things and saying, this is you and now that is your bucket and that's where you live and not think that um, you can change and progress and grow each day and learn from mistakes or something else. So I think that that's when judgment can become a negative thing is when we start sticking that onto people and mm -hmm. labeling them. Yeah. Uh, but overall, it's not a bad thing to observe and to watch and see what others do and make your own decisions upon that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm going to throw this question back to you. Uh, <laughs> reflecting on this conversation, what was most surprising for you? Um, I think it was surprising, just not really surprising, but just more of a reflection um, on how nervous I was coming into this <laughs> and just reminding myself that honestly it's just a conversation and this is okay and uh, I kind of laugh at it as well like it'll be interesting to listen to this in five years and ten years just to be like okay that was me that day on that day that year at that age that was me um, and it'll just be a really really cool reflection so just thinking of that in a future sense is really cool and then the second part of it is actually the reflections of the past, because sometimes I can go ahead and make decisions every day and just think about where I am today uh, and not, um, or beat up myself about certain things in the past or like, oh, I shouldn't have done that or I shouldn't have said that. But we forget to take a look at a very positive reflection from where we come from, how that shapes us uh, and what decisions we make our life to become who we are today and, you know, where we're going to go in the future. So I think just this reflection overall has been so, so cool. And ever since I started talking to you over the last couple of weeks, I listened to like all your podcasts that you have out there. So it's just been really cool to hear other people's journeys as well. Um, and it's something, uh, to be honest that I haven't thought of, and I think it's really important to take a look back at, you know, where do I come from and what shapes me and why do I make the decisions that I make? Yeah, I love that. Anya, um, thank you for your, your courage in, in hopping onto this, uh, this episode of the Ikigai Project. I, I really enjoyed this conversation and learned a lot um, uh, about you and about how um, you think about life and some of the principles and affirmations and um, tools that you use to, to find yourself and, and find that meaning and purpose um, for people who are intrigued and want to learn more about uh, where you know who you are and and connect with you, what's the best place for them to reach out at? Um, yeah, I, I mean LinkedIn is a great uh, resource. So uh, my name is a little complicated, but if you see it in the podcast and the writing, that's how it's spelled. And I don't believe there are others with my name, so I should be the only one that comes up. Um, so that's one really good way uh, to find me. Another one is honestly just sending me an email, which is my first name, Anya dot my last name. Um, Can you just pronounce it for, for us? Just, <laughs> just for so fun. Burechenko. Uh, Burechenko. Yeah. Okay. It's spelled a little bit weirdly and differently because we went through uh, the Romanian consulate when we immigrated here. So, uh, which is why it's spelled in like Latin based way. So there's my baby, like an H and a K missing there, but that's okay. Um, so it's anya.burechenko at gmail.com. Uh, and speaking of shipping it, actually, I'm a little bit nervous saying this, but I have my uh, website up, which is uh, I want to do it all.com. Um, 
And it's just, honestly, it's just like a fun, punny way of just being like, I want to do it all. It doesn't mean you always have to be doing it all, but it's just kind of, I find myself often interested in a lot of things. Um, So uh, I do do coaching as well on the side, but really mostly this is kind of to gather my thoughts and to write little pieces on there. Uh, And I haven't put it out to the world yet. I think it's just been a personal thing that I haven't shared with anybody, but I want to do it all.com is out there. Perfect. Uh, And yeah. Great. So we'll, we'll link to that as well. And, uh, the notes um any last words before we we jump off i don't think so i'm just uh honestly i'm so so grateful and appreciative uh of the conversation that we've had and how we connected and um having done this i honestly think is just such a really really cool experience um and and just a way to like dive into the ikigai i think what you're doing is so incredible um and i'm just really looking forward to seeing where this takes you over the next a couple years, five years, 10 years, whatever this ends up turning into, I'm, I'm honestly really excited to follow your journey and to continue. Thank so thank you. Amazing. Thanks, Anya. Thanks, Peter. Thanks so much for listening. Special thank you to Hugh for the theme music. You can check them out at hearhue.bandcamp.com. If you'd like to learn more about the Ikigai Project, you can check out my weekly blog at ikigai.blog. And that's it for now. Take good care, everyone.